At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray Strandom wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. Today is Wednesday, January 15th, 2020. On this day in 1976, 45-year-old Sarah Jane Moore was sentenced to life in prison for attempting to assassinate President Gerald Ford. A former FBI informant, Moore only acted on the scheme after she was spurned by the left-wing radicals she so admired. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Tyler Allen of the Minds of Madness podcast. His show covers ordinary people who do unthinkable things. He's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story while I'll cover the narrative. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. I am thrilled to dive into Sarah Jane Moore's sentencing. Now, let's go back to the courtroom in San Francisco on January 15th, 1976. 45-year-old Sarah Jane Moore gazed calmly at the judge, waiting to hear her sentence. It had been one month since she changed her plea from not guilty to guilty, a move her lawyer had strongly advised against. District Judge Samuel Conti peered down at Sarah Jane's stubborn face. It was hard to believe this motherly-looking woman with her feathery brown haircut could have been an FBI informant, much less a radical sympathizer. He had given her multiple chances to keep her not-guilty appeal, explaining that a guilty plea would probably result in a life sentence. But as she awaited the verdict... Sarah Jane felt confident in her decision. A not guilty plea would have meant claiming that she had been functioning at diminished capacity on the day of the shooting. Essentially, she would have to assert that she had been temporarily insane. Her lawyer advised her that this was her only shot at a reduced sentence, but to Sarah, it would have compromised the importance of her actions. She wanted everyone across America to know that she had deliberately pulled the trigger. In their eyes, she was a crazy, negligent mother and five-time divorcee. But to Sarah Jane, she was a revolutionary. She recalled the unease of that afternoon on September 22, 1975. It was a little after 12 as she raced down San Francisco's Highway 680, eagerly loading her new 38 caliber revolver. As she barreled over the Bay Bridge, Sarah Jane almost hoped the cops would pull her over for speeding. She didn't like the idea of someone getting killed, but if fate wasn't going to prevent it, neither would she. With no cops in sight, Sarah Jane reached her destination. She parked and waded through the crowd in Union Square. 
while the majority of the throng had positioned themselves across from the main entrance to the St. Francis Hotel, Sarah Jane had done her homework. She knew President Ford would emerge from the hotel's side entrance, and so she positioned herself exactly across from the door on Port Street. Ford would emerge at any moment. But minutes turned to hours as the crowd eagerly waited for him to appear. Sarah Jane had to pick up her nine-year-old son, Frederick, from school soon. She began to wonder if destiny was intervening after all. Then she remembered her idol, Patty Hearst, and the rest of the Symbionese Liberation Army. After today, she would be as good as one of them. At 3.38 p.m., the door of the hotel finally opened. Sarah Jane's wait had paid off. As President Gerald Ford emerged, she shakily drew the revolver out of her purse and aimed. Little did she know, the sights on her new gun were off by six inches. Her first shot missed Ford's head by exactly that much. As the president's security surrounded him, Sarah Jane squeezed the trigger a second time, but just as she fired, Oliver Sippel, a 33-year-old war veteran, reached out of the crowd and struck her arm, deflecting the shot. She'd failed. But as she sat in the courtroom on the 15th, awaiting her sentence, Sarah Jane was more sure than ever that she had done right. She looked Judge Conti squarely in the eyes as he read her punishment, life in prison. In a moment, we'll learn what motivated Sarah Jane Moore to shoot the president and her double life as an FBI informant and radical sympathizer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the story. On January 15, 1976, 45-year-old Sarah Jane Moore was sentenced to life in prison for attempting to assassinate President Gerald Ford. Her aim had been accurate, but her gun's sight was misaligned. She missed the president's head by a mere six inches. My guest host, Tyler Allen, is here to discuss Sarah Jane Moore's peculiar past and her motives for assassinating the president. Thanks, Vanessa. Sarah Jane's eccentric reputation began in grade school, where she was perceived as detached and unfriendly by her peers, despite her penchant for the limelight. A straight-A student, she participated in ballet and theater and was known for telling grandiose stories about her family descending from royalty. Sarah Jane married her first husband when she was still a teenager and divorced him at 20 years old. She quickly remarried to an Air Force captain stationed in California and gave birth to four children over the next five years. Sarah Jane hated being a housewife and her children didn't interest her. By 1955, she had divorced her second husband and shipped their children off to her parents to raise, disappearing to Los Angeles. Her ex-husband did nothing to retrieve the children 
leaving their grandparents to adopt them. In California, Sarah Jane burned through three more marriages and gave birth to her last child, Frederick, shortly after moving to San Francisco. In January of 1974, Sarah Jane was riveted by Patty Hearst's kidnapping and subsequent indoctrination into the left-wing terrorist Symbionese Liberation Army, known as the SLA. She became infatuated with the beautiful abducted heiress who had joined her captors in the revolution. When the SLA demanded that Patty's father distribute millions of dollars in free food to the needy, Sarah Jane volunteered as a bookkeeper at the San Francisco chapter of People in Need. She gave the organization a false home address and social security number when she volunteered. And according to her former supervisor, Sarah Jane told them she was sent by God. But she failed miserably as a volunteer at People in Need. In addition to her aggressive personality towards other workers, she ignored her managers when they asked for accounting updates. One day in early April of 1974, she showed up at the organization to find her superior and several other volunteers leafing through her ledger. She rushed at her desk, screaming for everyone to get the hell out of here. Sarah Jane was fired on the spot. They had to drag her out, literally kicking and screaming. She told her co-workers that they were worthless and lost without her help. But after she was gone, one of the volunteers opened her desk drawers and found months of uncashed checks, unpaid invoices, and bills that had never been dealt with. While at People in Need, Sarah Jane became acquainted with other radical leftist parties in San Francisco's Bay Area. Around this time, the FBI contacted her, asking if she would become an inside informant on these groups. Perhaps it was the glamour of espionage or simply the need for cash, but Sarah Jane agreed. She began funneling bits of intelligence to the FBI, all the while sympathizing with the very people she was informing on. She was enchanted by these romantic revolutionaries and shared their political ideals. Among her list of political grievances, she was furious that the crook Richard Nixon had appointed Ford as his vice president. This meant that when Nixon was impeached, Ford remained in office as his replacement. After all they'd been through with the Watergate scandal, America wasn't even given the chance to pick their new president. Sarah's fury at Ford only built, and ultimately, her radical convictions eclipsed her career as a spy. In June of 1975, she publicly renounced the FBI. It was a dramatic, noble gesture, and she was happy to speak with any press that would listen. But when they found out she'd been spying for the feds, Sarah Jane's far-left associations shunned her. They could never trust her again. Sarah Jane was devastated. The exciting life she had envisioned for herself as a radical was now out of reach. She was determined to win back the good graces of San Francisco's radical left in a dual bid to prove herself, while also executing justice. Sarah Jane Moore attempted to assassinate the President of the United States. When the police arrested her, she was carrying a stolen ID from another person named Sarah Jane Moore. 
She also asserted that she was the daughter of a timber and oil baron from West Virginia, although these claims were obvious lies. A scan of her real ID showed that authorities had actually confiscated a gun from Sarah Jane just the day before on the grounds of unlawful possession. Had she used her original gun, President Ford would have been dead. Luckily, her assassination attempt was just that. Moore was released on parole on December 31, 2007, after serving 32 years of her sentence, and a year after President Ford died of natural causes. She told reporters, I am very glad I did not succeed. I now know that I was wrong to try. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Tyler, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, The Minds of Madness, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more stories like this one, check out ParCast Original Assassinations. Today in True Crime is a ParCast Original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Ali Wicker, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 